Nancy Cavey, National ERISA and Individual Disability Attorney. And I want to welcome you to Winning Isn't Easy. Before we get started, I've got to give you a legal disclaimer. This podcast is not legal advice. The Florida Bar Association says I have to say this, so now I've said it. But nothing will ever prevent me from giving you an easy-to-understand overview of the disability insurance world, the games the disability carriers play, and what you need to know to get the disability benefits you deserve. So off we go. Are you the owner of a small business? This week, we're going to be touching on what every business owner and professional practitioner must know about ERISA disability insurance. If you don't own a business, there's still some things I think you need to learn. I'm going to be talking about three things today. First, is your policy governed by ERISA or is it an individual disability policy? Should a small business owner being paid disability insurance benefits take a draw or a distribution? And lastly, don't mess with a disability carrier and fail to tell them about work activity, a tale of how one attorney destroyed his disability case. Let's take a break for a moment before we get started. Have you been robbed of your peace of mind from your disability insurance carrier? You owe it to yourself to get a copy of Robbed of Your Peace of Mind, which provides you with everything you need to know about the long-term disability claim process. Request your free copy of the book at kvlaw.com today. Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. You ready to get started? The first thing I want to talk about is whether or not your policy is governed by ERISA or is it an individual disability policy. And I'm going to do that by telling you the story of a Florida radiologist who argued that his employer-provided disability insurance policy fell within what's called the safe harbor provisions and was therefore exempt from ERISA. Now, I know this is a lot of law and legal stuff, but I think you need to understand this foundational uh, material. So the legal question of whether a disability policy that you purchase through an insurance agent or, and personally pay premiums is governed by state or federal law is rarely an issue because as a rule, an individual disability policy is going to be governed by state law. But that's not the case necessarily when you have a group disability policy that's provided by your employer. Now, is that an ERISA disability policy or can you make the argument that the policy falls in what's called the safe harbor provisions of the ERISA Act. Now, this sounds like a dry topic, but it's a very important topic because you, the policyholder, would rather file a lawsuit in state court on a breach of contract theory than be stuck with the limited remedies of ERISA and the arbitrary and capricious standard of review. And that will make all the difference in your case. So how does a court decide if an employer-sponsored group disability policy is exempt from ERISA. Now, it goes without saying that ERISA is a pretty complex federal law, and there is something called the safe harbor provisions. And I'm going to tell you about that. And I'm referencing a case called Allen versus First Unum. It's a Florida case, uh, and I think it's a good example of the safe harbor provisions analysis that a court is going to use to determine this issue. So let me set up the facts. Radiologist Dr. Marcus Allen had five disability policies through Unum at the time he became disabled. Four were individual disability long-term insurance policies that he had purchased on his own through an insurance agent, and he personally paid the premium. Now, there's no question that those are IDI policies. 
However, the fifth policy was a group policy that was administered by Dr. Allen's employer, uh, Prospect Hill Radiology Group. And I will tell you that I've had this issue myself in, in uh, my disability insurance practice as I've represented physicians. Many physicians will have a combination of both individual disability policies and policies issued by their medical group. Now, when his claim was denied after being paid for five years, he filed a lawsuit, which among other things, he argued uh, that the Prospect Hill Radiology Group policy was really an individual disability policy under the safe harbor provisions of ERISA. Because again, he wanted to be in state court. Dr. Allen argued he wasn't an employee, but a shareholder, partner, or owner of Prospect Hill. And as a result, Prospect Hill's plan wasn't governed by ERISA. Now, the Code of Federal Regulations establishes a regulatory safe harbor, which excludes ERISA-covered employee welfare benefit plans uh, that are offered by an insurer to an employee. To qualify for the safe harbor exemption, there are four requirements that you have to meet, and you have to meet all four of them. First, no contributions are made by an employer or an employee organization. Two, participation in the program is completely voluntary for employees and for members. Thirdly, the sole function of the employer or the employee organization with respect to this program is, and without endorsing it, is to allow the insurer to publicize the program to its employees or members, to collect premiums through payroll deductions or dues, uh, and to remit them to the insurance company. And then lastly, the employer or the employee organization gets no consideration in the form of cash or otherwise in con uh, connection with this disability program, other than reasonable compensation, excluding any profit, for the administrative services actually rendered in uh, conjunction with payroll deductions or dues checkoffs. You have to meet all four regulatory requirements uh, to qualify for the safe harbor provision. ERISA is not gonna preempt state law uh, claims for the payment of disability uh, benefits um, <clears throat> that don't fall uh, under the safe harbor uh, um, provisions. So what did the court do? Well. The court disagreed with Dr. Allen's argument that because the partners didn't perform any functions concerning the group policy, other than to make the premium payments, that the third element was not met. Um, Prospect Hill had endorsed the group plan. They had purchased it. They served as the plan administrator. And the court said, look, that was sufficient to meet uh, the third test. And as a result, the safe harbor exception was not applicable. And unfortunately for the doctor, the Prospect Hill policy was governed by ERISA, and he had to deal with the arbitrary and capricious standard of review, which is tough to overcome. Okay, got it? Let's take a break. to winning isn't easy. Should a small business owner being paid disability insurance uh, benefits take a draw or a distribution? Now, like any small business owner, you and I bought a disability insurance policy to insure us if we lost our income. But what does the term loss of income mean? There is no uniform disability insurance policy in the United States. So as a result, before you stop work and apply for your benefits, 
you should get a copy of your disability insurance policy or plan and read it cover to cover. You want to pay particular attention to terms like income, loss of income, and covered earnings. You might find out that if you take a draw or a distribution, that money would be considered by the terms of your policy to be income for the purposes of calculating and paying your disability insurance benefits. So we've got to be careful. Let me, let me give you an example. Let's say that your disability policy specifically says that income includes any distribution that you pay yourself. If your benefits are $10,000 a month and you take a $5,000 per month draw, I'm sure the disability insurance company is going to take the position that you've been overpaid benefits. And they're going to demand that you pay that $5,000 difference back to them. Worse yet, if you had a total disability policy, the disability uh, provider might say, well, regardless of whether or not you're disabled, any distribution that you pay yourself is considered income, and therefore you're totally disqualified from receiving disability benefits. Now, you may ask, how will the disability insurance company know that you're taking a draw? Well, that's pretty simple. The disability insurance company is going to ask you for your monthly financials. And at the end of the tax year, they're going to ask for a copy of your corporate tax return. If they see a draw, a distribution, or other income that you've reported on your tax return, they're going to demand repayment. The very terms of your disability policy may allow them to get away with this. And they might say, not only do you owe the money, but you have no disability claim since you're earning income. Wow. Hmm. So what are some practical suggestions that might help you in advance of your claim? Well, as I've said, uh, the first suggestion I have is that you get a, a copy of your disability policy. Um, I think that you should have an experienced uh, or, or an ERISA disability attorney or an IDI attorney, read it cover to cover and do a policy term analysis. This isn't something that your personal injury uh, friend uh, or your family lawyer uh, or any other kind of lawyer should do because they are not ERISA or IDI attorneys. Now, the next thing you want to do is look at your corporate documents to understand the current structure of your business. One solution might be to add your spouse as a corporate officer and pay them the equivalent of your draw or distribution while you're disabled. Or another solution might be to sell or transfer your interest in your business to your spouse and then pay them the equivalent of your draw or distribution while you're disabled. And there might be other options based on your policy, but what you do with the proceeds of your business by taking a draw or a distribution can destroy your claim. And the disability insurance company can legally be able to deny your claim or ask for reimbursement. And you need to know that before you stop work and apply for your benefits. So you should be consulting with an experienced ERISA disability attorney such as myself, and certainly with your tax preparer or other tax professionals to understand what the implications, tax implications uh, could be of some of the suggestions I've made, because I'm not a tax lawyer. You need help. I can help you with your ERISA claim, but I can't help you with your tax issues. Let's take a break. Are you a professional with questions about your individual disability policy? You need the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. This book gives you a comprehensive understanding of your disability policy with tips and to-dos regarding your disability application that will assist you in submitting a winning disability application. This is one you won't want to miss. For the next 24 hours, we are giving away free copies of the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. Order yours today at disabilityclaimsforprofessionals.com. 
Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. I'm going to tell you a story. I think stories are instructive for lots of reasons. Not only are they entertaining, but more importantly, you, you get a sense of what disability carriers do and what judges do uh, with disability insurance claims. So this is called Don't Mess with a Disability Carrier and Fail to Tell Them About Work Activity. It's a tale of how one of my colleagues, an attorney, destroyed his disability case. So when the disability insurance carrier puts you on claim or, or what's called diary, you're going to be asked to fill out forms. And one of those forms is going to be an activity of daily living form. It's going to ask you questions about your activities, including work activities. You have an obligation to tell the truth. And if you don't, your claim can be denied. And worse yet, if they catch you in a lie about your work activity, the disability carrier just might sue you to recover disability payments they made to you. So let me tell you the story of Mr. Messing, who lived up to his name, and he messed up his disability claim big time. We've touched on his story in uh, past episodes, but I want to reiterate this story, and I want to expand a bit on it because I think it's important for you to hear. Now, this is about misrepresentations about work activity. Mr. Messing was a former partner in a law firm, and he knew the likely consequences of making a misrepresentation on his activity of daily living forms. Misrepresentation, in my view, is a fancy legal term for lying. Messing claimed in 1998 that he was disabled because of depression, and he was unable to handle the stress of being a trial lawyer. Union Provident accepted the claim, and they paid him benefits until 2018. And guess what? they found he was able to work as a lawyer and they terminated his benefits. Messing had never disclosed that between 1999 and 2013, he had worked on 13 legal cases for which he had been paid. The failure to disclose that work and the money he earned on his activity of daily living forms would come back to bite him. And you know where it bit him. It was in his wallet, right? Unum Provident did a simple search using something called Pacer, and they typed in his name, and out came information about 13 cases. And while this information was ultimately not part of the administrative record, it didn't help his case. So what did Unum do? Well, Unum counterclaimed for restitution of the disability benefits. So when he sued them, they counterclaimed, and they said, look, Messing misrepresented his inability to work as an attorney, and we want our money back. Now, fortunately for Messing, the judge found that Unum Provident had met its burden to show that the misrepresentation had induced the payment of his disability benefits. The judge concluded that at best, Unum Provident only showed it would have investigated the claim had it known about the misrepresentations and that it was speculative as to whether or not that information would have led to a claim denial back in the past. But ultimately, Unum uh, prevailed. And by that, I mean, uh, while Messing didn't have to pay the money back that he had been paid from 1999 to 2013, the judge ruled against him in his uh, disability uh, case and found that he uh, was able to work as a trial uh, attorney and was no longer entitled to benefits after 2018. So what's the lesson here? Well, the lesson is you shouldn't give the disability carrier reasons to deny your claim. And they're not in the business of, of uh, paying benefits, and they're always looking for a reason to deny benefits. When you make a misrepresentation, however, that can result not only in a claims denial, a claims determination, a claim for restitution, 
But worse yet, it can even result in a referral to the Department of Insurance for a fraud investigation. And even worse for Messing, his misrepresentations could result in a bar complaint and an ethics violation investigation with a possible loss of his legal license. Like your mama told you, tell the truth, tell the truth, and tell the truth. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Winning Isn't Easy. If you've enjoyed this episode, consider liking our page, leaving a review, or sharing it with your friends and family. Also, why don't you subscribe to this podcast? That way you're going to be notified every time a new episode comes out. And I want to remind you, our 2022 KV Law Scholarship is up and running. And we're taking entries until August. Head over to kvlaw.com backslash scholarships to enter a family member um, or a friend whose child is going to college and could benefit from a college scholarship. I hope you tune in next week for another insightful episode of Winning Isn't Easy.